0: Check out org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off Start it up and we ain't gonna stop off. Oh, I said like you like it or not That's when it got wheels off Charlie Crockett is a badass rock and roller. Sure, it's country or Americana or whatever we're calling that kind of rootsy, authentic, heartfelt acoustic guitar-driven thing. Charlie does it as well as or better than anybody right now. And if you haven't heard his music, please go listen immediately. Now, all that said, talking to him is fantastic and interesting and deep and so much unexpected stuff in this conversation that you're about to hear. And I feel like it just scratches the surface. His life he's led is so interesting and varied. It's true, he is a descendant of the great Davy Crockett, but that maybe is more publicist kind of information. Like the real-life stuff that he's lived through since he was born in 1984 is uh, pretty fascinating, and the way he approaches music is pretty fascinating. I think you'll really enjoy the conversation that he and I had, you'll be able to hear the sound of the Austin Street through the open window of his truck where he's sitting while we talk via Skype. Early on in the interview, I should clear this up in case it confuses anyone. Charlie says something about being on the John Folk program, which is in reference to our shared booking agent. We're both booked by a an agency called Red Eleven run by a really sweet dude named John Folk. So that's the John Folk program he's talking about, which is basically haul ass around the world for 200 days a year and make money and and rock people's faces off in the case of Charlie Crockett. He's a good dude. Great interview. Please welcome to Wheels Off Charlie Crockett. All right, welcome to Wheels Off, Charlie Crockett. Hello, my friend.
2: What's going on, Brother Rhett? Thanks for having me.
1: Dude, thanks for joining me. This is great. Thanks so much. Where Where are you right now?
2: I'm in South Austin, Austin, Texas.
1: Woo! And are you? <clears throat> I know you're sitting in your truck. How old is that truck?
2: Oh, it's a 95 uh, square body F-250. So what is that? 25 years old, I guess. Not got, too old. You not got too a, new.
1: No, you got a camper top on it.
2: Sure do. I got one of those old uh I got one of those old sixty nines. It's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. got an eight foot bed and the old uh I know it's a sixty-nine because it's uh the arms on the the arms on the lid are uh they're not hydraulic, they're mechanical and that they switched that and they switched that one into the seventies. Oh man. Um, <laughs> yeah, in case you wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh so what creative project are you working on right now and uh how does it light you up
2: oh man well you know like all of us you know i'm just used to touring all the time i mean i was playing you know basically five nights a week on the john folk program and i i had a record that i recorded in february and all these you know lots of folks was wanting us to wait and put the record out next year and You know, nobody's doing anything. The bigger venues and stuff, I hear till like March of next year and all that. And it just didn't, I didn't want to get lost in the sauce. Like I've got an audience, but I'm not a a big artist by any means. And I just was worried that, you know, that uh, other acts would get priority with releases coming next spring. So we went ahead and actually, instead of moving the record release back, we moved it forward. And so I've rolled out, my first single for my album. Welcome to Hard Times back on May twenty seventh. And then I'm dropping the next single here at the end of the month and the record comes out July 31st. So it's kind of a it's a strange I've never dropped a record not been playing shows. But that's what we're doing.
1: God, isn't it weird? And you're doing some online stuff though, right?
2: Yeah, doing all that. Yeah, doing all the live stream stuff and which is cool, you know, I mean I I like doing that. I mean it's not a replacement for shows. But I was telling somebody the other day, you know, it's like some of the some of it's like going back to the, you know, I played on the street for a long time, Rhett, and in a way it's kind of like that again, you know, because you're isolated, you don't play at real venues, you know, it's just kind of me and the guitar, all the guys are on relief, all the guys in my band, you know, are taking unemployment and stuff. So it's kind of like, in a way, it's kind of like being back to a solo street performer, you know?
1: Yeah, isn't that weird?
2: Yeah. I mean it ain't the same. I mean I was living I mean I was living on the street corner. I mean now I live in my truck. So it's like I'm doing a lot better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um you know that's one thing about that I was thinking about. I feel like the artists are obviously the most hard hit, but of the artists that are hit, like I look at you and like you, your recorded music is great, but the thing that sells you to like to the unconverted is the live show. And yeah. You don't get you don't get to do those.
2: Mm-mm. No, yeah, that's my whole my whole bag has been the has been the live program. I can't tell you how many times people, are, you know, they may not be into me from the live recordings, you know, that, and then they see me, and then I can convert them a lot, which is, I guess that's just how it is. Uh, yeah, it's weird, man. I will tell you something strange though is like with this record that I'm putting out. I mean. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. It's like, I think typically what we've done is just, I've made records real cheap. And then we don't put a lot of money into marketing them, you know, because I am playing 200 shows and that machine or, or that, that kind of circuit that I'm on sells it. Like you're saying, which has always been my strongest tool. The one thing that is kind of interesting and yet to be seen for me, and how it's going to go is that because I'm not working, what I was able to do is to secure a lot bigger marketing program for this album, actually with 30 tigers, you know, like my label, my, my own label is son of Davey. And then I'm wor- I've been working with 30 tigers for like five records and they have put a lot of faith in me and are really like really have put a lot of resources into marketing this album in a way that I don't think, would have happened had I, what if I was playing five nights a week, you know, it's like you kind of have that model where it's like the, the money goes into recording the record. There's a little bit of advertising, not very much. Um, and then the record kind of sells itself on the road, which is great. But the cool thing about what I'm doing right now is that they're actually putting a lot of resources with my team and the 30 tires team into the actual digital marketing of the album, which I've never really had. I never had any, any effort i mean, i've had a publicist for the albums and stuff but never like a real digital budget which i just there's no way i would be they'd be spending this money if i was on the road i don't think they would be
1: yeah you know so i wonder a- i always wonder about like this time when it, when a record's coming out and instead of making something you're kind of working something and pushing it and marketing it and all that Normally during this kind of a period do you find that you're able to write you're able to like think creatively and kind of work both sides of it and then also I guess I wonder specifically now during the pandemic are you at all able to write
2: Man that's interesting you asked that. I don't know man I'm in a I wrote that whole record in like November of last year the one we're putting out on just it kind of all came to me in a month's period I wrote most of the songs and then this year, yeah, in this pandemic, man, I haven't, I haven't been writing many songs. I've been learning a lot of songs. Like I'm in a, I guess I go through periods where I'm writing a lot, and then I go through other periods where I'm just learning a lot of other people's songs. And I've just been more in that. I've been more in that place of, yeah, writing or not writing, just learning, learning songs. And I was actually on the road for 40 days, man, in this truck. I mean, all in isolated areas It was out in the four corners area mountain west the southwest the desert and stuff just living out of the truck and because I just I, I have such a hard time staying still you know yeah. I have a hard time staying in one place and we recorded all the music videos for the singles that we dropping. so I did like four of them over the course of a month with my girl we just been out we were out on the road and did all those and I guess I was mostly doing it to keep myself busy because I have a really hard time just being in one place, especially in town, you know, and I get, ner- I've been, I get nervous being in a big city with all this stuff going on. Although, I mean, I, I wouldn't be, rather be in any town, a big town. If I was going to be a big town, it's this it's this town of Austin. But a big part of me would rather be way out in the desert, you know, until somebody tells me it's safe <laughs> to come
1: yeah. to well, and I, I, I thought about you real early on in this too, just because I know last year, the last, last couple of years, has been a lot of health scares for you. Are you holding up all right? You, I mean, you, you must be nervous about it, but how do you feel?
2: Oh, I be, you know, beats pushing up daisies. You know, I think about it all the time. You know, I, sh- <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I feel really good. I mean, I feel real good. I'm glad to be, ki- I'm glad to be kicking. You know, and. I mean, my personal problems are, you know, everybody's got them, you know, and everybody's fighting a great battle, you know, What it's like
1: mm-hmm.
2: I had in 2018, I put this record out and I built my thing up and it was like, hey, this is Charlie's breakout time, you know, he's about to break out. And then it was like, nah, actually you're going to die, boy. You need to get these heart surgeries. And I went through those, got this cow valve put in my heart. That don't make me a cowboy. I don't know what does. And then, <laughs> Then I built myself up again after getting through that surgery last year, you know, and then we had all, this is supposed to be another banner year for me, and then it was like, nope, sorry, son, it's pandemic, you know, and then, you know, and the pandemics continued, and then we've had the, we've had the kind of the incredible civil rights awakening, you know, and the, and the struggle for, for civil rights to be realized that, you know, we should, should have, uh, done gotten through already but now this is the time you know they say 2020 is the year of clear vision and I guess it takes a lot to get 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 that good eyesight you know get you know seeing things clear so my personal battles are I don't know I just know everybody's doing I know everybody's dealing with personal stuff and I don't know you know because I love I love touring you know it's like but I mean I was touring so hard man it was like you know, you don't even you just get to the point where you're touring so much. You don't even know where that's headed. You know, um, that's you know what I mean? You're just playing all the time and yeah, saying yes to everything. And I was running so fast. Hell, I couldn't even make a music video that I wanted to. So I didn't even have I didn't have a 24 hour window to do it in, you know. And <laughs> you know so, how that is, you know, man. so it's like I missed that part. of. I missed that a lot. You know, I guess it's like when you're off the road, you want to be on the road. You know, when you're on the road. You know, you're dreaming of maybe riding on a dang horse in New Mexico. I don't know. <laughs> you
1: know so. your, uh, your early story to me is is really fascinating, like how you started off and the way you came up and the experiences you had when you were so young. Like where did it start? Like At what point did you know this is what you were going to do? Did you have an epiphany as a kid? Did you always know? How did it all start for you?
2: No, I mean, we like, you know, we, I was, we lived in South Texas and, rural area and we lived actually in this mobile home on a rural route outside of Los Fresnos and my my mama was born in Denver but she had ended up down in South Texas and she met my daddy down there and she was working at a holiday inn and then was like also working at a news station KVEO and uh, the McAllen Brownsville area and stuff and my daddy was pouring concrete in a in a fisherman out there shrimping and stuff and so we kind of had that type of you know kind of isolated South Texas life and then my dad wasn't my mom my, my dad wasn't around kind of not long after I was born and stuff he's just a wild man and my mama kind of raised me herself and we sang a lot together and she had a lot of she was into records and had a lot of cool music all the time and I just kind of grew up singing with her and I never was too self-conscious about my singing voice or anything like that so I kind of always had that going, but I didn't it didn't occur to me to play music until actually my mama got me this guitar out of a pawn shop. And uh, we had moved up to the Dallas area, actually Irving, Texas. And my mama got me a honer guitar out of a pawn shop when I was 17. And she had tried to get me like to play the piano when I was younger and stuff. And I just couldn't focus. But by the time I was 17 years old, I was like going through a lot. And, you know, having a lot of difficulties. And I think my mama could just see that it was the time and and she was right because, you know, she put that guitar in my hands and and I never put it down from that point on. And, you know, like it's not that I, I wasn't any good. Don't get me wrong. I was terrible. <laughs> You know, I really was. And I used to play that thing. I'd be, you know, thumping on that thing, trying to get a good sound out of it. And I'd ask my mama, I'd say, mama, am I any good? And she'd say, well, son, I'll tell you this. When you sing, people will believe you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I, you know she, that was my mama, you know. She wasn't going to lie and tell me I sounded good. But she knew I had something to say and that if I stuck to it, that would tra- that would come through. And she was right, you know. And, and then, uh, you know, I got in – I continued to get in trouble, uh, you know, with, with my brother and getting kind of into the underworld of <clears throat> kind of – the wild west that is the dallas business world and stuff and, you know my brother and sister didn't go to high school or anything but they were smart folks and my brother was really a hustler and was trying to get out of poverty and and in in the middle of that you know we got in a lot of trouble and um in a way the, that broken road led me to street playing because you know when you get i don't know when you get in the type of trouble that we got in and people were going to prison and dying and you know uh you get a lot of your your normal legal or conventional paths that people take in society for upward mobility when those are closed to you the things like you know going on the street path you know what may seem impossible to some folks kind of become the only way and so i ended up traveling and carrying my guitar around and stuff and i did that you know for better part of 10 years and um i'd never take it back you know because i just i really learned how to stand behind my guitar at first i really wasn't any good i was just traveling with people squatting with people staying at people's houses and shit sitting around in parks just trying to play all day and stuff and literally kind of by accident i started making money playing outside you know because uh i would sit around in parks right when i was in texas or uh louisiana or you know on the road up in North Carolina, going to New York city and stuff. I was sitting around in parks and just kind of staying with people. And, uh, actually this one day, this, uh, lady threw some, just like some spare pocket change into my case. And I literally, I truly wasn't even playing for money. I was just like at the park to be left alone. And, uh, it kind of slowly dawned on me that, you know, that I could play for money, you know, and I had grown up partially in the French quarter in Louisiana with my uncle, you know, because like I said my my daddy, I love my dad. I got to relate. I talked to him today and stuff and I met him in my 20s and he's a good man, you know, but he just, he wasn't, a, he wasn't around when I was younger. I don't fault him for it or nothing, but it's like my mama would send me to, to Louisiana in the summertime to be with my uncle so I could get that male role model in my life. And he worked at a restaurant in the French Quarter and at bingo halls and played casinos and stuff. And I did all that type of stuff with him when I was a kid and I was around the street life in in the french quarter and and so after i was playing in those parks travel around somebody had mentioned to me in new york city at that time i wasn't even playing in the subway cars or anything i was literally just playing in the parks you know central park washington square park uh standing on street corners getting run off by cops and stuff like that and uh and then somebody had suggested that i go down to new orleans you know and i and i remembered the street players and stuff and and uh I started doing that. I started going down to New Orleans part of the year. You know, you'd hitchhike down with people, uh, catch rides, started, get, I started riding trains through other street performers in New Orleans. Uh, we'll go back up to New York City, you know, from New Orleans, go through Asheville, play on the street in the downtown area in Asheville. It's a great place to bus and make money and hang out with, you know, funky people. And then when I got back to New York that next time, I started playing down in the subway cars or in the on the platforms you know because you would get run off the street corner like playing in the west village or like east village or you know uh like central i tried to play like times square and all that which was just too much for me it was too loud i didn't <laughs> i didn't like it you know and, but i started playing down in the subways man and they, and like on the emptier stops you know cuz the really busy ones are real competitive you know whenever you you always see all those street performers down there just like new orleans it gets really competitive and, uh, but I would just play these real empty stops, you know, just, just similarly to like what I'm doing right now, where like I sit in my truck, I sit in my truck. Cause it's this place that I can be, you know, that, I that nobody else, I'm just in this truck and there's people around or there's people out here at the coffee place and the road and stuff. But like, I'm in my little truck and nobody mess with me and it's my spot. And the subway platform was that type of thing for me. Yeah. There'd be people running by all day and shit, but nobody, nobody messing with a kid sitting against the wall on an empty subway platform, you know, nobody ever told me to stop or anything. And I would start, man, I would like, I would go from making seven, eight, nine dollars total sitting around in the park, you know, cause I wasn't any good. Like I told you to getting, into, <laughs> to getting I would do, I would get in the subway platform and, and uh make more money just because I think I was, there was more people. I would, I could be heard better, you know, with the acoustics, like on the, Metropolitan stop on the G train, you know, or like first or third Avenue on the L, seventy seventh Street on the Sixth train, uh, down there at at Essex on the F train, you know, ride the J uh, over back and forth over the East River, uh, that kind of stuff, you know. And so I mean, I I develop. I guess I'm saying I develop myself just sit kind of sitting around on the street and then happen to start getting paid in the process, you know, it's like getting paid to practice. And, you know, you could play one song all day, kind of, you know, because the people would change so much, even different than a park, you know, they would literally never be the same people and saying I'd be in new Orleans half the time learning songs. I guess I'm jumping all over the place here, but I love it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So it's funny. I think about like, I think about when I'm, you know, I'm, I really saw you play before I ever got to know you at all. And But when you walk up, it's like your mom said, when people hear you sing, they believe it. Like you walk up and you've got this magnificent, bold kind of stage presence. And then I hear these stories about everything you've done, and it just sounds like what we do requires a certain amount of bravery, I guess. But what it seems like the way you've done it, it's like that's the, the bravest thing I've ever heard. Hitchhiking and playing on the street. So, but I wonder. I'm sure that you must encounter um, some kind of internally generated obstacles. Like, do you run up against you know voices in your head that tell you, uh, I don't know. Like for me, it's like you're no good. Or, I mean, what? What? How do you deal with the kind of negative stuff that crops up inevitably in your head? Or are you like the one person that doesn't have that? Uh,
2: No, I mean, no, I don't know. I guess like the negative stuff. For me, that I had to like, if you play, you live on the street for a long time, and you like relying on the kindness of strangers for a really long time, you do develop this complex where you wonder if you have the right to be anywhere that you are. You know what I mean? Because you're always staying on someone's couch, squatting in a warehouse, sleeping in somebody's pasture, um, sitting on a park bench. You know, getting run off by the cops, getting a ticket, getting this, that, or whatever, you know? And I, so I went through that and still do go through it where it's like, you know, it's always like, am I, do I have the right to be? It's not even about not having the right to be in a place. It's just like, it's. it really is like a kind of complex where it's like, do you, you know, it's like, because the way it's set up, man, is like, when I was in New Orleans and stuff, man, it's like, I played on the street. Not because I really wanted to play on the street, but because I couldn't play in the clubs, you know? I couldn't even, I couldn't get on stage, you know? They wouldn't let me play. I didn't, I don't know if I was too rough, like a combination of being too wild, you know, unpredictable, maybe too much of a, some kind, too different for for people, you know? And it's the same thing in New York City where it was like, i mean everybody plays you know uh rockwood music hall and arlene's grocery and uh what is that uh the bitter end and all these places you know and or you know and i never could get a gig at any of those places so i just played on the, the street you know and then and i mean even in like even in dallas when i was like trying to get into the bars and stuff you know i I couldn't get gigs at first, you know, so literally the only way I would play is I remember there was a girl that worked at, um, three links and she was a bartender. Um, and she would let me play without asking really anybody. If I could, she let me play before the bands, you know, like before the first band of the show that night, I could play solo like in the afternoon before they were set up. And that's like telling how my whole career was because I used to do that all the time would be like I remember I used to busk in this little town in Colorado when I was like hitching through there on trains and stuff. I'd play on the street and then I went into this bar called the Diamond Bell Saloon and there were these old bluegrass guys. And nobody give me a gig. But what they would let me do is they would let me play for tips on their set breaks. And I ended up doing that everywhere in America. You know, I basically played the street only. And then people would let me play in between their sets. And I did that everywhere from, I did that at the, I used to do that at the radio being up there in, um, is it Burlington, Vermont? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I could, they wouldn't give me a gig and I'd always be passing through and stuff, but they would let me play unamplified in the coffee shop on the breaks or in between the bands and stuff. You know, and that, that's literally how I got my start in Deep Ellum. You know, like uh, Ken Welker from 13th Floor Music, he ended up being a big champion of mine and really helping me A lot and I'm grateful to him but initially he wouldn't give me a gig you know he had no interest in booking me at all in Mm. fact uh, Alexis Sanchez uh basically had to strong-arm him into letting me have a gig where Alexis would bring the people bring the amplifier set everything up take the risk if it didn't work out that's how that's how unsure people were of me and then the show worked out really well and a lot of people came out and then I ended up kind of taken over that circuit really, you know, e- even though maybe the people that were busy at the time controlling it, wished maybe I wasn't there, you know, but I just, <laughs> they really did. I mean, it's just uh-huh. the truth, you know, and I don't know if that's because I have so much of a other other thing, or there's so much street energy behind it. Maybe I'm just, people are afraid of it. I don't know. But, um, and so I deal with that creates a thing where like, you always have a chip on your shoulder. You always feel like no matter what you do, you're not good enough. Even if you're blowing the other bands out of the water, you know, it's like, even if you light them up, man, then they don't like you for that. (laughs) It's just kind of how it is. You know, it's like, you, you you know, it's almost like people would rather you be like, not that good, you know, and kind of nice to get along with. But if you, if you're different, you know, and you really maybe change the pace of a room, you know, that'll make, you know, like, I don't know, man, I just read, I just always feel, like no matter what I do, always feel like an outsider, you know, and you're always watching your back wondering if, you know, you're, you're really allowed to be where you're at. Not because I don't think I'm good enough to do it, but because I'm not being accepted, you know, and that, that, that maybe comes from a lifetime of, you know, the stuff that I got into when I was younger and then being on the street so long, you know, and I know some other street people that have that kind of stuff because if you if you're living on the street and, and and playing that way, yeah, I think you quite literally are an outcast, you know. And I don't think once you've done that long enough, I just don't know how you. I don't know how it doesn't really change. It doesn't. You don't never doesn't ever leave you, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. God, well, man, I I just I can't even tell you how much I admire what you do and just sort of you know the way that you have fucking worked so hard. People talk about paying dues. And I can't even believe the kind of dues you've paid, you know. Uh, I interview, I mean, you know, I talk to a lot of people about doing kind of creative life stuff. And one thing that comes up a lot is that people feel like outsiders, you know. But then I hear the story you tell, and it kind of makes everybody else's stories like, you know, okay, maybe. Like, I got beat up by the middle linebackers at the private school. Sure, (laughs) that's great. (laughs) Man, but you were like hitchhiking from fucking Vermont all the way down to New Orleans, that's so so good, Charlie. I love it, man. Um, Okay, if you were to meet a 21-year-old version of yourself working in today's world, what advice would you give yourself?
2: A 21-year-old self. Well, I'd try to hand them the songwriting knowledge that I've got at 36. That'd be a big help because <laughs> I couldn't write for shit at 21. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be one big thing. Um, I'd tell them to maybe get on Instagram sooner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, no, but he just tying into what we were just saying. What would I tell my 21 year old self? I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know. You know, I think the only thing I would tell him is that that the things that you're going to try to do that people don't understand, don't worry, it's going to work. It's going to work. You know, I love all, that. all the all the people telling you. It's not gonna work. It ain't got nothing to do with you. That's them projecting their own shit. It's gonna work. Don't stop.
1: God, that's so good, Charlie. <laughs> now, thank thank you so much for talking to me today.
2: No, Rhett, thank you. I'm sorry. i sorry about Friday. Was that Friday or oh. no, Saturday? Sorry about Saturday. Ah,
1: but life is so weird right now. It's just man, I, I'm in the same boat. I can't wait till there's a, a day, hopefully in the near future, where we get to share a bill. Even even if I have to play after you, which is a tall order. uh, (laughs) I liked when we played San Francisco the other day, and I got to go on before you because that's much easier. That was the last
2: time we played with San Francisco, right?
1: Yeah, January.
2: Man, oh, my God. I love that, there. I love Great American Music Hall, man. We got to do that again. That's, like, one of my favorite places in the world.
1: Yeah. Well, your lips, God's ears, man.
2: Well, you're too nice, Rhett. You really are, man. I oh. thank you for having me on and uh, I'm glad you're safe up there in the Hudson Valley. And I'll see you out here when they, I don't know, <laughs> next year, I don't know.
1: <laughs> when there's a vaccine, something. Yeah,
2: when All there's right. a vaccine, exactly.
1: <laughs> Hang in there, Charlie. Take care, my friend.
2: You too, my brother. Have a good one. Okay, bye. Bye.
1: All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all.